0: John chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. I'll give you a minute to get there in your Bibles, if you're following along in your Bibles. Well, the headlines have been screaming over the last few weeks. I don't know if you've noticed it. I just uh, did a quick Google search this morning, and here are the headlines. First, from the New Yorker. Will supply chain issues ruin Christmas? Bloomberg. Supply chain nightmares threaten to ruin Christmas. Bloomberg again, supply chain shortages at historic levels. Will they ruin Christmas? NPR, the race is on to save Christmas. <laughs> Spectre World is the supply chain stealing. Christmas, may I suggest that we use this opportunity of supply chain woes to let the commercialized Christmas of gifts and glitz go ahead and be ruined that we might find in Christmas this year treasure of real value. Let's pray. God, I just pray in these uh, few moments that you would open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, that we may hear what you have to say, that we might receive it, and that it might change us. To be more like you. In the name of the Christ, amen. Remember when you were a kid making a fort or a tent out of blankets and pillows? Remember, ever, anybody, who all did that? At least, yeah. I mean, everybody does that. We had in our basement in Des Moines, we had day beds because we, were, we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, so my dad made everything. So he made these uh these day beds. Basically it was just a wooden platform with made out of plywood that we had left over from finishing the basement. And he and then they got a couple of cheap Single mattresses to put on top of them, and then we'd put those against the wall with with pillows. So th- those were our couches downstairs in the family room. And so we'd pull the day beds because they were really light out in the middle of the room, and we'd get blankets from the closet upstairs, and we'd pull the blankets over with a gap between the two day beds, and then we'd get underneath there with pillows. And remember what, as a kid, how much fun that was just to get in there, and then you felt like you were hiding. You felt like it was your secret place. And you'd go in there, and you'd have your books, and maybe you'd have your secret treasures that you would go in there. And it's funny because it didn't take much, did it? To just, for it to be, all of a sudden, something exciting and new. John chapter one. I love it. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. You know, most of the gospel writers, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were all really sort of factual in their telling of the Jesus story, but John, John is artistic, and John is thematic. And so instead of trying to tell the story in chronological bits, he starts with this beautiful, beautiful theme. In the beginning was the Word, notice the capital W, the Word, the Logos, The eternal word, he's he's a metaphor for Jesus, the living word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was light. Word, life, light, he came. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came to be a witness of the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Isn't that interesting? The creator comes into this dark world as light and didn't even get recognized. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And John, when he says, we've seen his glory, he was on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured into the glorified Christ. He saw it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now here's what's really interesting because that word dwelling is the Greek word skinoo, and it literally means in the Greek to spread your tent. Jesus came to pitch his tent with us. Now I love this story. I love God's word. I've been studying it for 40 years. I just love it from beginning to end. In fact, I've been blogging my way through Genesis again uh, this last month, and I am discovering things I have never seen. I've been studying this thing for 40 years, and I am finding stuff in there never seen before. God is opening it up in ways, and I, just, I get so excited about it when I learn, and I read it, and I study it, and a lot of us come to the, the, the gospel, we come to the, the New Testament, we come to the Jesus story and we sort of, I, I get it. It's really easy to kind of go, well, I love Jesus' teachings and I love the New Testament because it's really easy. But the Old Testament, man, can't, can't handle it. It's weird, violent, you know, I don't get it. It's mysterious. I just I, Let me tell you, this is a story from Genesis to Revelation. And if you're really going to appreciate the fullness of who Jesus is, if you're really going to appreciate the fullness of where the story is taking us, you have to understand the fullness of where it came from. So today I want to, I want to quickly hit on a couple of things. Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, they're called the books of Moses, or the Pentateuch is what they call it in uh, in seminary. The first five books. And what it does is it tells the beginning of the story. One of the things that I love about God is that when he creates things, he creates things in layers. So the fact that he creates things that have meaning in and of themselves. I love that God is to be praised and worshiped. We're gonna end up there today in Revelation. What is it? It's the, the praising and the worship of God, of Christ, as He's glorified and exalted. But at the very beginning of creation, you know, it says in Scripture that even the rocks cry out. And what we know about creation from, from science and from what physicists tells us is that all matter resonates, it makes Noise. And in fact, the universe has its own frequency. The universe itself is constantly making noise at like 432 megahertz. In other words, when the Bible says, hey, Jesus, Jesus said, hey, even if these people don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Guess what? The rocks are crying out Continually. He made the universe to make noise. God is constantly being praised by everything that he's made. Love it. It's a layer of all that what the story is about. So from in Genesis, here's where we go. We've got this one man, Abraham. And Abraham believed God and God's promise. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make through you. You're going to have descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea, seashore. And through you is going to be a mighty nation. And through it, all nations, all peoples will be blessed. And Abraham believed. And God said it was credited to him as righteousness. And in fact, Abraham is the forerunner of everything that God is doing through Christ. Go to Romans chapter four, read chapter four of Romans because Paul basically says, Abraham believed God. He had faith and that faith turned into God's crediting him with righteousness. The same way that we believe by grace, we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Abraham is the forerunner of that. From the very beginning, it wasn't about what we do. It was about what God does when we have our faith and our trust in him. So here's this one man, going to be descendants. So one man becomes a family, and that family then becomes 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes get enslaved in Egypt and become a people while in Egypt. They just expand, and now there's this huge people group. And then they leave Egypt. They're delivered by God in the book of Exodus, and they become a nation. And God establishes them as a nation. From the very promise of Abraham through the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, we now have the we have this people, this nation has been formed. And what's important to understand is that this is a this is a cool part of the story. And we're part of the same story. Because if you go on to what Paul says in to the to the Romans, he said, those who accept Christ, to those who believe in him, we are descendants of Abraham. Not necessarily by DNA, but by the Spirit of God. We are Abraham's descendants. He says, Jews in chapter two, Jews are not those who were circumcised naturally and physically, true Jews are those who've had their hearts circumcised by the living Christ. And so this story is part of our story. Okay, now as we get into the wilderness, God is now establishing this nation. They've left Egypt. They're just a couple million people hanging out (laughs) and they're going, what are we gonna do? So God through Moses creates a system. You see, before Abraham, there was no scripture, there was no there's no rules, there was no systematic worship, there was no there was from a religious point of view there was nothing. So God comes to Abraham and says, "Yeah, you believe me?" Yeah, I believe you. But through this whole thing there's no There's no structure to it. So in Exodus, God begins to give them structure. He gives them the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but He gives them a whole structure of what they are supposed to do and how they are to worship Him. And the cool thing about Moses is that Moses is kind of the one through whom this first wave, this first structure is going to be given. And he tells him in Exodus, verses 25 and 26, he says, I want you to make a tabernacle. Now, what's a tabernacle? I always hate that word because it just seems so weird. A tabernacle is a tent. <laughs> he said, make me a tent. And he gave instructions for it. And this tent was where God would dwell on earth. So he made this tent tent and it would sit in the middle of the camp. So we have this nation of people wandering around in the wilderness and wherever they went and set up camp, they would, they would put up this tent. And what was really interesting is this is new. This is like nothing had been seen on earth before because what had happened in the ancient religions of those day is that each town would have its own god. And so the God would rest. So this town had this God. And if you left that town and went over here, well, then you left that God and you went to this God. That's why they had all these, you know, polytheism. There are people all over. But God says, no, 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 no. We're going to do something new. I am the God of your people and I am going to go wherever you go. You are my people. You will go with me and I will go with you. And to show you that, I want you to build this tent. And that's where I will be. So when John says, the word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. He spread his tent. Jesus is doing something new. Just like God did something new through Moses. Through Moses it was this tent. Now Jesus is doing something new with a tent. He came to earth. So I want to take a few minutes this morning and think through what the old tent was and what the new tent is. Because if we don't understand the relationship. We don't have a fullness of what God is doing in the Christmas story. First of all, six things about the tabernacle, the old tent. The tabernacle, number one, was used in the wilderness. So as they, for 40 years, wandered in the wilderness, that tabernacle, that tent, was a reminder that God was with his people. Jesus leaves heaven And comes to the wilderness of this world. He becomes one of us. He becomes human. He is born to a woman in a womb. He comes into this world slimy and bloody and crying like all of us do in our birth. God came to this wilderness to show us the way. Jesus went to the wilderness, Matthew chapter four, verse one, to be tempted. See, that's important because Adam, Adam was tempted and he sinned and Eve. Jesus comes to the wilderness. He is tempted in the same thing, the same three temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Jesus faces the same three temptations, only he doesn't give in. That was part of the test. He came to right the wrong from the very beginning. He comes to be with us in our wilderness. He comes to be with us in our Hebel. Anybody in, feel like you're in the wilderness right now? Anybody feel like your life is kind of lost? Yeah, Jesus came to be with you in the wilderness of this life. Second, so the tabernacle was used in the wilderness. Second, the tabernacle was outwardly humble and unattractive. You know, go further down the story and Solomon's going to build this temple which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Extravagant, beautiful, opulent. The tabernacle was just humble, simple, unattractive. In the same way that Jesus was prophesied by Isaiah to say Jesus had no stately form or majesty that we should look on him. And in a world that values likes and looks and brand and influence, Jesus spent most of his ministry in small rural towns with a ragtag team of misfit disciples. Hmm. Third, the tabernacle was where God met with humanity. He said, I'm going to come to this tent. I'm going to be here in this tent. And hey, the people, you come. And you come to this tent. And this is where I will meet with you. And once a year, the high priest would come in and into the Holy of Holies where God's spirit dwelt. And he would be with humanity. So why did Moses appear on that Mount of Transfiguration when John said, I seen his glory? Well, when he saw Jesus in his glory, there was Moses standing with Jesus. Why? Because it connects. Moses was doing something new. This last summer, I I took a road trip, and I listened to a 15-hour audio commentary on the book of Leviticus and that's probably you would probably rather just, you know, do anything but that. It was amazing. Because what what God was really doing in the book of Leviticus is saying I'm doing something new. You weren't were a nation, but now you're going to be a nation. You were this people that had no system of worship or how to work with me, how to be with me, but I am giving you something new so that we can do this thing together. So here's Moses doing this thing in the ancient times like 1800, 2000 B.C. Now Jesus is coming and he's doing something altogether new, but it's the same. It's layered. The same thing. I am coming to this world to be With you. So, last week I talked about the table, right? Here's what happens. God goes in this story from tent to temple, Solomon's temple, to table with Christ. He's doing something new. We met in a tent and then we met in a temple and now we're going to meet at a table and we're going to have a meal and we're going to break bread and we're going to pour the wine and we're going to have a relationship in a covenant at the table. As you consume the bread of life and you drink the blood of life through me. See what's happening? Isn't that beautiful? Four, the tabernacle was at the center of the camp. The center. Everything was around it. John 12, 32, Jesus said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw everyone to myself. Just as Moses lifted up. So back in the day, everyone was, there's this big sickness, plague. It was like the pandemic of their day. And Jesus took the snake, and put it on a stake, and he lifted up that snake. And whenever anybody saw that, lifted up that snake, they were healed of the sickness. That is a precursor to what Jesus is doing. When I defeat the serpent by getting lifted up on the cross, and death is defeated, whoever comes to me will be healed of their sins And given life. So Jesus wants to be the center of our lives the same way the tent, the tabernacle was the center of the Hebrews' lives. And what does that mean? It means this it means we got to stop playing games with church. I really believe that. We got to stop playing church. And letting church or our religion or our faith be some sort of compartmentalized piece of life that we do for an hour or two on Sunday morning. And it has no effect whatsoever on any other part of my life. I, I want to be careful. I really feel led to say something this morning. I, Because I, I am one that I don't, I don't, I, I'm not, Prophetic, um, and it's easy to to make hyperbole and exaggerations. But here's what I believe: I believe that we are living in times of trouble. And if you if you can't see it, reading the headlines, I don't know what to tell you. I am seeing things that I never thought I would ever see in my lifetime. Right now in Canada, there are almost. A hundred churches that have been burned to the ground. Christians who want to meet together to worship in Canada are meeting in secret in woods and forests. And the government is sending helicopters to find them, to arrest them, and put them in prison. We live in strange times. Tens of thousands of Christians have been killed in Nigeria. Because they're Christians. So I see these things and I just feel like when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, I believe that the trouble is here. And I believe that it's only a matter of time before we feel it more acutely ourselves as we're insulated here in our little Christian bubble at Pella. I believe it's coming. And I believe that when it comes... Those who have Christ as the center of their lives are the ones that are not going to fall away. Read the headlines. The Statistics show that after COVID, only about 50% of those who go to church have come back. Now, that could be because of COVID and fears for health. But I guarantee you, there's some people that haven't come back because they don't want to come back. Because they like life. They like a couple extra hours on Sunday morning. They like worshiping in their pajamas. I like worshiping in my pajamas. Come on. Who doesn't like worshiping in your pajamas? But hey, there's something that happens in this room on Sunday morning. There's something that happens when you are with me and I am with you, and Christ is in with us as we worship Christ together. There is something that happens here. So, trouble is coming, and Christ wants to be the center of our lives not just a piece of it, but everything. Number five. The tabernacle, the tent, was where sacrifices were offered for the sins of the people. So they would come and they would bring their sacrifices, their sheep and their goats, and make their offerings. And then once a year at Yom Kippur, they would come and the high priest would sacrifice a spotless lamb for the sins of the entire people. And Jesus comes and pitched his tent that he might be the lamb that is sacrificed for all people, for all time. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins of all time, sat down at the right hand of God. This last week I have been just, I came across this old hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I've just been listening to it over and over and over and over, because I need it. Listen to this. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wreck his treasure. Behold the man upon a cross lifted up. My sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. He came. To be the sacrifice for your sin and mine. This new tent, this new tabernacle. And finally, number six, the tabernacle was a place of worship. That's where the people came to worship God. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the center of our worship. And the cool thing is that, yes, it doesn't have to be in a specific place because wherever I go, Christ is with me. Thomas fell down when he saw the risen Christ, put his hand in the side, and he touched Jesus' wounds, and he falls down and says, my Lord and my God. So where does this great story from Abraham From a man to a family to a clan to a tribe to a people to a nation to the Lamb of God who was slain, it ends up in the end of the story in the book of Revelation. And in chapter 5, this is what it says. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And with a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. That's where it ends up. Praising, worshipping the lamb. That's it. Jesus came and he pitched his tent among us. And we've seen his glory. You know, Jesus said in John 14, he said... Whoever loves me will obey my teaching and I and the Father will come and make our dwelling in them. And Jesus, in Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock and if anyone opens the door, I'll come in. We'll sit down. We'll, have, we'll dine together. That's what it says. We'll have a meal. Tent to temple to table. So, my question this morning is simply this Have you become the tabernacle of Christ? Have you welcomed Christ? into the table of your life. Because that's what Christ came to do. He came and he pitched his tent that we might become the tent in which Christ dwells. Ask the worship team if they want to come on up. I want to read this quote by John Donne, and then we'll be done. John Donne writes, The whole of Christ's life was a continual passion. Others die martyrs, but Christ was born a martyr. He found a Golgotha where he was crucified, even in Bethlehem where he was born. For to his tenderness then... The straws were almost as sharp as the thorns after. And the manger was as uneasy at first as the cross at last. His birth and his death were but one continual act and his Christmas day and his Good Friday are but the evening and the morning of one and the same day. From the creche to the cross is an inseparable line. Christmas only points forward to, God, to Good Friday and Easter. It can have no meaning apart from that where the Son of God displayed his glory by his death. So this Advent, here's my encouragement to all of us. Jesus has pitched his tent and I pray that like that daybed tent, in this tent that he has pitched for us, let's sneak in this Advent. Let's forget about presents and trappings and commercials and, and let's sneak into the tent and let's sit down with Jesus and ask Jesus to show us something new this year. God, that's the prayer of my heart. Lord, I want less of this world. I want less of the trappings. I want less, yeah, of the stuff that Christmas isn't. Let that all be ruined. (laughs) I pray, Lord, that you you will allow me this season to find real treasure in welcoming you new and afresh.